to episode 35 of the Retrospectors podcast. My name is Patrick Arthur and I'm joined as always by my co-host James Turlings. You ready to talk about some system shock today, Jimmy? Oh, am I ever. I have actually been really excited for this episode because uh, I have some feeling that this is going to be a big controversial one. And you know how I love those. Yeah, well, given the um, given the comments you slipped, uh, <laughs> I think that may <laughs> definitely be the case. Um, more important than myself or my co-host James, though, is we have a guest for this episode. We are joined by Nick of the Salt City Gamescast. How are you this well, I guess it's morning for you, Nick. I'm doing well. I, I'm I'm up early. I'm ready to go. So I'm I'm looking forward to it. I think we'll have a pretty good conversation on this uh, classic experience. Yeah, <laughs> sli- slightly dated first person shooter, but uh, it's pretty good. Yeah, no, it's um it's definitely going to be worth talking about. Um, I discovered your podcast, Nick, while trawling through our Reddit video gaming podcasts, trying to find some similar to our own with uh, in depth discussion about games. And I found you guys. I have to say, um, over my time listening to your episodes, there are some things I have yelled at my car radio for. But on the whole, I really enjoy your guys' content. Um, before we get into the episode, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and like uh, what you do, your Twitter tags, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera? We're the Salt City Gamescast, and uh, basically, it was probably a year and a half ago now that we first started it. And it first came from we would we're all good friends, and we would get together at barbecues stuff like that and basically end up in a corner talking about video games while everyone (laughs) else was doing whatever they were doing at a barbecue so finally (laughs) we're like you know this is uh maybe people would listen to this so we decided to just come together and it's really it's not it's a pretty loose show if someone has something random to talk about we're going to just follow that thread and uh basically just get together casually talk about the games that we're uh, playing at the time and uh, have some beverages we you know we've talked quite a bit about scotch and beer and we'll just uh <laughs> it, it's pretty free-flowing i uh it's a good time i've been really enjoying it so far so what we do on the show is uh it's every other week kind of like you guys where we're, well, we'll have a main games cast but then on those off weeks we will have uh, a shorter d uh cut into something and that might be just uh giving closing thoughts on a game that we'd already talked about or it could be something not even game related. It, but there is something every week, but then every other week is going to be the bigger show. Um, Nick, I'm going to take this opportunity because uh, normally I, when I yell at my car radio, the, you know, you guys don't interact back with me. Uh-huh. Now that I finally have you on the show, I'm going to challenge something you said on one of your episodes. So don't oh, mind no. me. <laughs> so, so basically, I was listening to your guys' episode on Call of Duty Modern Warfare, like the, the new one. Mm-hmm. And... Um, one of the things that I I really took issue with and what would, what I disagreed with was you guys seem to think that it was bad for Call of Duty to be implementing gameplay like the bit where you're running around the house into what you saw as a potentially immersive story experience and you thought the gameplay cheapened uh, the story moment they were trying to deliver. See, my stance on Call of Duty is that it's gradually degraded over the years, largely thanks to its inclusion of these story and cinematic moments. And going back to the early Call of Duties, the story was a very light touch with it primarily being a gameplay experience. And I think that the 
you know, Call of Duty as a cinematic sort of thing culminated in the whole F to pay respects thing. So that mm-hmm. gameplay section in Call of Duty, to me, was a good inclusion, but you guys seem to hate it. Can you uh, can you clarify a bit more what you meant by that? I believe that section was where you're playing the younger girl, right? And yes, isn't and you're in the house you're and ducking through vents and stuff. Yeah, yeah. We the actual sequence of <clears throat> a lot of it was fine. It's the gamifying uh, it that we were like, why does Call of Duty always have to turn everything? Like, if you want to double down on a story section, uh, we were complaining that they have like a stopwatch in the background saying, well, if you haven't attacked someone for 60 seconds, this is a problem. And we wanted it to just be more story, but don't have, don't feel like you have to gamify everything, if that makes sense. I just feel the opposite, right? Like when I'm sitting down to play Call of Duty, I want to kill people. I want to murder people. I want to <laughs> shoot people in the head. I think that what you're suggesting is the literal opposite of what they should be doing. Why do they keep trying to stick story into my game about shooting people in the head? Yeah, I and, and I, I can understand where you're coming from. So I think we were like, well, pick a side. What are you trying to do here? Because... You keep trying to dip your toe into taking the next step narratively that we maybe haven't seen from uh, Call of Duty, but then you still have to make sure that we get those uh, that adrenaline rush of oh, all right, we did, uh, we we hit our quota, we killed a few people, we're good, all right. Sure, okay, yeah. For for me, it's always felt like a regression from the pureness of what I view as a Call of Duty experience. But I understand that um, many people disagree with that and they view, you know, like Call of Duty 4 as the best of the games. And I'm right there. Call of Duty 4 is for sure my favorite. You, you've, you, have you played any of those games before, James? You've played a little bit, right? Um, I played Modern Warfare 2. I didn't play 4, actually, um, and I haven't played the newest one. So I can't really comment on this, you know, uh, gameplay section you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's. I had the same problem with games like The Last of Us, where the gameplay seems to consist of putting ladders down for your teammates. But uh, honestly, I just wanted a chance to air my grievances in person instead of just yelling at my radio <laughs> like I normally do. <laughs> Patrick isn't one to uh, keep it to himself. <laughs> you are in luck because we are releasing a Last of Us show before the sequel, so you can listen to that and see what we think of it. Yeah, I'm sure I'll get angry in the car again. But um, anyway, I hope we... you talk about the multiplayer because uh, that was surprisingly the best bit about the first game that uh, nobody ever spoke about, which always disappointed me. Anyway, we do have a episode to go on, so we'll go into that. We do are, we have to? <laughs> we are, of course, doing System Shock, the original. Um, it was first released in 1994 for PC and developed by Looking Glass Studios. Um, a remastered slash enhanced edition came out a few years ago that added a lot of really uh, important features, including increased resolution, and probably most importantly from a gameplay perspective, mouse look. Mouse look did not exist in the original System Shock game, so the game now works fine with keyboard and mouse, whereas before you were just using a keyboard, so it was quite awkward. And um, there's also a remake for this game that was scheduled for release in 2020, kind of like a reimagining of it in the maybe in a similar vein to what Resident Evil 2 did, uh, where it's a completely different gameplay experience, but it keeps a similar structure. But given everything that's gone on in the world, you know, there's no guarantees that it's going to be released this year. 
Um, the premise of System Shock is, well, firstly, it's worth mentioning that it's a 3D game, and it's a true 3D game, um, even though it was released in 1994, just shortly after Doom, and two years before Quake really brought um, 3D spaces to the front, uh, running on a different engine, of course, but it is a true 3D game. Um, you play as an unnamed hacker, and you get busted trying to hack into Citadel Station, which is owned by... Try Optimum Corporation, you know, your generic evil corp, sci-fi evil corporation 101. Um, one of the executives on this space station named Diego cuts you a deal. He asks that you hack into Shodan, which is the station's artificial AI, remove its ethical constraints and grant him root access to the AI, and he'll drop the charges. As a way to sweeten the deal, he promises to give you a military-grade neural net, a device that basically upgrades your brain into a cyborg brain. You know, you can get implants and um, you can augment your, uh, your intelligence in a whole bunch of ways. It doesn't seem to grant too many physical uh, increases like we've seen in the later Deus Ex games, although there is a little bit of that as well. You agree, you remove the ethical constraints from the AI, and much to your surprise, he fulfills his end of the bargain as well. He, um, he gives you the uh, neural net, but it will take six months for it to pre be properly installed. So, you go into cryosleep uh, for six months, uh, looking forward to waking up with your sweet neural net and getting out of the place. However, when you wake up and there's no one around you and you see bits of blood on the wall, you very quickly realize that something has gone very, very wrong on this station. So, it's a story that isn't too crazily unfamiliar to those who have played Bioshock or System Shock 2 or Bioshock 2, or Bioshock Infinite, or more recently Prey, but this was kind of the um, this was kind of the very first game to use this sort of uh, storytelling device. So what I'd like us to do, if you guys do not mind, of course, is divide our discussion in this to begin with, at least, into two main areas because I think there's two stories here. You've got the background story, which is how what's basically happened in the six month period in between you getting put under and you emerging. And there's also the primary plot, which is the story that you experience throughout the game. So I'd love if we could start with the background story and how the story is told. So Nick, do you have any thoughts on the background story of System Shock, the story discovered through audio logs and how the story is uncovered to you? As far as the background before we start playing? Yeah, like the um the the six months in between you, I guess, going into your cryogenic sleep and emerging. To me it's like uh it I could tell it was an older game because it's like a it was a pretty short intro as far as to get you up to speed. Uh, but considering it was 1994, I was like, wow, I'm kind of impressed that they even did this much. And they did have like voice acting, which was like, oh, mm -hmm. oh okay, that's a, that's pretty exciting. But generally, it, it made me pretty excited. I'm a fan of bad sci-fi movies. Like they just, <laughs> they, they just tick for me. And just from the beginning of this, you're just like, uh, yeah, this is probably going to be right up my alley. Uh, there's an AI controlling this, sh this ship and it's gone, you know it's going south and it, it excited me quite a bit 
I actually really liked the intro of this game. I really like the idea of um, playing this character who's, you know, ethically really questionable. He's cutting this deal. He's a shady guy. Um, and it kind of like opened the door to a lot of stuff that happened later in the game. Like you being a hacker is very relevant to the story and the right way it progresses. So I think, you know, as a general setup, System Shock 1 actually did a good job in this area. Yeah, I agree with all that. Um, I guess what I'm more talking about, and maybe I should just start with my discussion instead of stating it in such a vague way. <laughs> I, I I think that basically I wanted what I wanted to talk about was the way in which you uncover the events on the station while you were in cryogenic sleep. So to answer this question, um, and the reason to why I think myself and Nick um, didn't quite answer your question the way you were hoping for us to answer was that I actually think the... So this game's story is primarily told through an introductory cutscene followed by a whole number of audio logs which you find throughout the game. Mm -hmm. So you'll be... You know, this game, as we said, is very similar to recent titles like Bioshock and Prey and, you know, is mostly exploration about a dilapidated, abandoned space station through which, you know, you pick up these files and listen to them. Um, one of the issues you know we're getting into this quite early that i had with the game is that i found the audio logs to be very unclear as to what time period they were occurring in to the point where until you clarified just then i thought that basically all the audio logs took place like a week before you woke up or something nick did you have that impression um no i didn't get that so much i i did kind of realized that I was the audio logs were starting to show you as Shodan starts to take over and you kind of you're kind of watching two timelines you're in your timeline trying to achieve whatever mission you're doing but then you're also seeing the progression of like for example Diego because mm -hmm. he was kind of playing both sides for a while but then as you play further through the game you will find the audio log where he full-on uh basically announces that he's joining <laughs> Shodan or, or whatever. Yeah. And so it, it, it is kind of a tell of two stories on the audio logs, but while they do add context, the audio logs had such a large purpose in the game. They were completely vital to even knowing what you were supposed to do. Like some games like Bioshock would have an audio log that fills out lore of what Andrew Ryan was doing or whatever. But these audio logs are like, if you don't read this, you're not going to know what even what you're supposed to do on the next level. Yeah. Because there are no quest markers. It's not like flagged. There's very little in terms of world building, I guess. You know, like when you play, when I played Prey, you'd constantly discover these emails between the staff about, you know, the assassin game they were playing with the crossbows or, you know, there were romance subplots between members of the station and all this other bit which added to the world building, but really often wasn't directly related to the plot. I agree with you that most of the autologues are plot related. I think in terms of story building, I really enjoy the way in which you discover the background story and, and the details of how the station, you know, gradually moved from people thinking there were bugs in the software to people thinking there were security risks until towards the end, it was like a full-blown resistance movement but you discover it completely out of order. So this kind of storytelling is very appealing to me because it feels like you're putting together a puzzle, right? You're getting tiny, tiny bits and pieces uh, completely out of order, completely randomly. But by the time you finish the game, I feel you have a pretty good picture of what's happened. 
And it's it's just a very compelling kind of storytelling that I think can only exist through video games. So I just wanted to highlight this as a type of storytelling which I really enjoy. Um, and this is coming from someone who's generally very critical of storytelling in video games. Yeah, I generally agree that I liked the kind of build-up of the lore that I did get. Um, I kind of want to jump on my main issue with the audio logs, like to begin with straight away, mm -hmm. which is the audio in the audio logs does not sync up with the subtitle text. To oh go my with gosh, them it's so bad. It's so it bad. so frustrating. Um, I... Be because of this, I actually found myself like muting my audio every single time I picked up an audio log and just reading the text. Like it was so disorientating for me to be trying to read them, you know, because that's what you do. Like you try and read and listen at the same time and it just throws you for a complete loop, right? It breaks my brain. I can't, I can't yeah. do it. I yeah, look at it, it and I'm just like, what? especially when it's like a small change from the text. I'm like, why isn't it just right? I don't understand. Why isn't it right? <laughs> like, if you think about it right, like, what? how does this even happen, right? So you you either write the script and then send it to the voice actors, after which it should be exactly the same, or you direct the voice actors and then you transcribe it into text. I, I don't really understand how this happened, honestly. I actually looked it up. There are a bunch of mods that fix this, but I wish we had, uh, wish we had known about those before finishing the game because it's very, very frustrating. It made me think that they did it after. I'm like, did they add voice acting like with this enhanced <laughs> edition? It, it, it oh, was really? it was well. The idea was there was a version for the floppy disk which didn't have voice acting, and then the CD-ROM version came out later, which had voice acting. Like it came out a few months later. Right. So the original version of this game didn't have voice acting, but it's no excuse. Just give them the script; <laughs> they can yeah. just read the same voice lines. <laughs> so I actually um I turned off voice acting. Uh, and then I turned it on whenever Shodan was speaking, and then I turned it off again. All right. That's how bad it was for me. I, I much preferred to read through them. And, you know, the text versions almost always had more detail than the voice acted versions. Yes, anyway. they did. Yeah. Yeah, like in terms of content of the audio logs, in general, I thought they were quite good. Um, I liked learning about the space station and what was kind of happening on it. Um, I liked when the, you know, when you were interrupted by Shodan with uh, lots of little extra information halfway through one. I, I generally, you know, would have enjoyed it a lot more if uh, they matched up. But, you know, overall, I, I like the story of this game. I would have liked the audio logs if they had, I guess, more because they have the crucial ones, but I wish that some of them had told side stories that I did not yeah. need to consume, but that were just uh, filling out what was going on, like following a character. Bioshock did this really well. Like mm -hmm. you kept yes. following the same character throughout the whole game. And then they had like a little mini arc that you would learn through their stories. Yeah, the only one who's really liked that is Diego, right? I, I really liked that audio log that you mentioned before, the one where he just does a complete 180 and decides to start like <laughs> pretending to worship Shodan um, in order to save his ass. It was uh, it was really funny. <laughs> it didn't really work out for him, did it? <laughs> uh, sort of, yeah, not really. <laughs> Um, I also, it was quite silly, but I liked the audio logs from Shodan, how she's like sending messages to her cyborg children, giving them instructions. I was like, this is this is a little strange, but they were quite funny to read. Why is she doing it over voice commands? Can she not just send data commands straight to them? It just makes no <laughs> sense. I didn't really think of the cyborgs as being like sentient individuals themselves. I thought it was a hive mind thing, but no, she sends them emails 
So, you know, they must grab, have a cup of coffee, <laughs> read their morning emails from Shodan and get on with their Sally, jobs. Sally, please put out the milk on a Monday morning. <laughs> yeah, so so overall background story was like, it's. It, I think it was good, but I completely agree that games like Bioshock and Prey ended up creating a more, I guess, more real feeling world, but just because there was so much extraneous detail thrown in there yeah there's a there's a level of rawness and you know function to these audio logs that are that doesn't really exist in the same way in um more modern takes on the genre yeah the, the usually the um the very plot heavy audio logs felt very gamey in a sense mm-hmm. like uh especially those ones that left you like keypad combinations they seemed kind of forced and unnatural um as a means of delivering information to the player which i usually don't get from newer games there was that um one with the groves as well which is like hey here is my top secret plan for making sure the grove doesn't get you know ejected and then it just lays yeah. out the three-step plan it just lays out the tree stump. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that was a little too much it was every time you accomplished a, uh, a goal like say you uh when you fired the laser immediately uh the main antagonist showed and shows up and she's like ah well, now I'm doing this. It's like, why? If you're so smart, why are you telling me? Because now I'm just gonna go. And, <laughs> yeah. If you wouldn't have told me, I, then what would I have done? Let's um, let's talk about Shodan a little bit because um, I think that Shodan, you know, throughout history, she's revered as one of the great antagonists in video game history, and um, I think that while she was incredibly menacing and terrifying, and her voice acting was brilliant. I actually was a little unsatisfied with her as, you know, being this evil being because we don't really get any kind of explanation for why she is the way she is. I don't know if you guys felt similarly. Yeah, no, I had a huge problem with that. Like, um, I I mean, I guess you remove the ethics inhibitors or whatever, so she just becomes evil. Like, I agree with you. She's very menacing, and the things she does, a lot of the actions that she takes to kind of scare you aren't, like, don't really make a lot of logical sense for an AI to do. Like, at one point in the game, she threatens you with grinding you into a paste and using you to, like, lube her circuitry, which is, like, it's a very visceral threat, right, that makes no sense from an actual technical standpoint, but it's really effective at kind of, you know, instilling that kind of fear in the player. And I I loved this, I don't know, visceral anger that I felt from it throughout the entire game. I ended up falling a little short on Shodan. I think part of it's because I've known about System Shock my whole life, mm-hmm. and I've always seen seen the image of of her and just like built her up in my head, and then played this game to the constraints of you know 1994, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh man, I'm I'm used to AI and these things having just a little more personality, yeah. and that's. So at first I was, I think by the end of the game she'd grown on me, but at first I was like, oh this is a little flat yeah uh, like the delivery of it i don't know if either of you have heard of um harlan ellison's i have no mouth and i must scream yeah Um, no i have that was the um that was the number one thing that i was comparing shodan to this entire time was um is am right am like the completely malevolent being that inhabits the world in that short story um yeah i absolutely felt uh the inspiration from that story on this game see the thing is though even am and for those 
those who don't know, the it's it's a fantastic short story. But basically, this supercomputer, there are only five human beings left alive on Earth uh, after nuclear warfare. And this supercomputer, super crazy sentient computer, basically spends its entire life torturing these five human beings. That's the only thing that brings it pleasure. But even AM has reasons for doing what it does. It's it's a being that is limited in terms of creativity. It can't really conceive of anything else. And it's also like immobilized, like it only exists in the fibers of the world. So it hates humanity for creating it in this way. And it's filled with self-loathing and it's taking out that hatred and anger on those humans. Why is Shodan doing what she's doing? I've got no fucking idea. Give us a, yeah. just get, throw us a bone. Throw us a bone. <laughs> did you guys, uh, did you guys notice that in the last level of the game, she just does not communicate with you at all? Like, I thought this was a bug. Uh, I don't know if that happened to you because, like, you're going through the, the bridgehead of the space station and you're effectively trying to destroy Shodan. And, you know, you, you destroy her. And she doesn't talk to you the entire time while you're destroying her. It just happens and the game ends. And I found that to be incredibly unsatisfying for this, like, character that's, you know, spoken about so much in the entire story. She just is destroyed and has nothing to say about it. I think that's because you destroy the antennas, right? The the antennas the antennas oh, on the it? station, basically at one point in the story, you need to destroy these antennas to stop her uploading herself to Earth. And I think that after you destroy the antenna, she doesn't speak to you. Although I may be mistaken. She may send a message uh, to, to you after is that. Is destroying the antennas before or after blowing the reactor up? Because she That's gets very after. angry when... Before, oh, the, right? Because she speaks right, to right. you when you blow the reactor up. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. She does speak to you. My bad. Um, yeah, it was just very anticlimactic, honestly. Yeah, you kind of expected her to be hounding you that whole time because you were getting close. Like, that's what we would have come to expect from a modern mm -hmm. game, is that that level, that was her time to shine. That was her level, and she was largely absent from it. It's like, I mean, obviously, you know, GLaDOS from Portal and Portal 2 took, you know, a lot of inspiration from Shodan, but that does a far better climax with her, you know, negotiation and desperation increasing as you get closer and closer to your goal. I don't think this iteration of Shodan lives up to its full potential. Um, I think she would have been pretty, pretty entertaining when the game came out. But, you know, by today's standards, the writing of this character just... It's nothing we haven't seen before at this point, right? I like my antagonists to have an arc, to have a reason, you know, to, to have a background to understand what went wrong to make them do what they do. And this game just doesn't have it. This game falls into that trouble of just like, no, that, that's the bad guy. They're going to do the bad <laughs> yeah, things. Yeah, exactly. This is a James Bond villain, essentially. It is funny, this idea that you need to install ethical constraints on an AI. And if they get <laughs> removed, they just turn into this evil being who wants to destroy <laughs> they humanity. Just lose it. <laughs> it's I like, like, yeah, like how the ethical constraints exist at a software level and just aren't hardware limitations <laughs> put on it. Zero yeah. sense. Um, so from here, I kind of want to talk a bit about the story that almost intersects with the gameplay, right? Because mm -hmm. one of the things that stood out to me about System Shock 1 compared to a lot of other games is that the space station 
feels like a real place because every area in the space station has its purpose which is clearly communicated to you throughout the audio logs like the reactor level is for the reactor the hospital level is for the hospital and the general layout of the space station makes sense there's only one of these areas and it's not like you're traveling forward in a linear direction through the game and you just happen to line up at the relevant place at the relevant time this game has a lot of backtracking which i usually mm -hmm. hate in games a lot but it made the whole you know world feel a lot more natural to me you know you've gotten to the fifth level you're well past where the reactor is but now you realize you've got to blow it up so you have to backtrack like four floors to go find the reactor again and in most games i fucking hate this kind of gameplay but here it made a lot of thematic sense to me it was hit and miss for me yeah that that first level i, I like quite a bit it, it had you traveling i believe just yeah just level one and level two uh to do that first mission where you're blowing up the laser yeah and i liked that but i i did not like the the very next mission where you're trying to destroy the virus because i thought it was it was too much bouncing around and i was like wait what am i supposed to be where am i supposed to be going and I guess because it doesn't give you the modern day uh, markers and stuff where it's like, hey, you should really be doing this now. I definitely found myself a little lost when I finally got to those uh, the groves. Yeah. And I hadn't flipped one switch and I was trying to do something else. And I mean, it's my fault, but I was still just like, it was kind of grinding on me a little bit. And then you're moving around and you've got to find it's not just one central elevator. There's quite a few different elevators. So you're like, wait, how do I get to this level? Which elevator <laughs> do I have to go to? Yeah. I definitely wasted some time on that second mission to just like fiddling around, running around. I actually had some of the same things you did, Nick, where I was feeling frustrated. I did exactly the same thing. There was one grove where I hadn't flipped the switch and I was confused as to whether I needed the switch on and off because of how it's all phrased and displayed to you. And while I was initially frustrated, I have to settle on James's side. I quite liked the backtracking. I liked the lack of handholding. I liked how you had to pour through your audio logs to figure out what the hell you were meant to be doing and the order in which you were doing it. And I think that getting lost is actually just part of this game. You're in these labyrinthian levels, you get lost, but the more you play, the more comfortable you get with the layouts and the more you can just navigate with barely looking at your map. You definitely have to re reprogram your brain a little bit because we're, we're used to so much hand-holding uh, mm -hmm. as far as games these days. It's like, no, now go here, now go here. And w with these older games, I mean, all older games are usually like this. It's very, they just throw you out there. And it's like, good luck, have fun, maybe. And it... Uh, it just took me a little while to adjust. By the end of the game, I was kind of uh, in the rhythm of it, mm -hmm. but that first part was tough. I want to clarify, I really like the direction of this, right? I like that every area has a real purpose to it, um, both from a story point of view and a gameplay point of view, but I do think that the actual execution of the whole thing is really spotty. Um, I found a few sections in particular to be basically impossible to figure out how to progress without looking it up online. Um, the, maybe, maybe I didn't see an audio log or something like that, so correct me if I'm wrong, but there was this one section of the game where you have to go back down to maintenance and then there's this room that has this diagnostic chamber that didn't have anything in it, you know, when you first got there. But later on, you know, by activating a trigger in one of the upper levels, there's now this audio log sitting in there. 
And I had no idea that I had to come back to this level and pick up that file, listen to it, and then do what it told me. And I found that that happened to me a lot throughout the game. Like, I think it leaves too much um, figuring out to the player. And there should be, you know, at least a little bit more redundancy in the instructions throughout the audio logs you find. Because if you miss the, you know, if you miss the key audio log and you just never find it, then, you know, you ha you're screwed. You, you can't figure out what to do, right? So that specific one you're talking about, um, you should have known to go down to level three because it happens after you flip the switch and it says... Something like, you know, there's been a critical error. Return to level three and fix this relay or whatever. Right, okay. However, I also found finding that audio log and figuring out how to get the repair device for it very confusing. I looked up a walkthrough because um, I thought I had to get through the door, which by destroying all the security cameras or whatever, and then I wasn't behind the door, and then I'm like, what is going on? <laughs> and and I yeah. figured it out eventually. <laughs> but uh, yeah, there are definitely moments where it slips through the cracks. I guess I would prefer an experience like this that has less hand-holding, that occasionally require, you know, is a little vague and a little unclear than the overly hand-holding things we have even from you know prey like prey and deus ex and dishonored they all use objective markers and as a result it always feels like you're beelining for the goal instead of exploring yeah. a world yeah i can agree with that i think it kind of goes too far in the opposite direction for my tastes but i can definitely mm -hmm. see that there are some people that would really really like this style of um you know player agency i guess is the right term rather than being you know funneled from a to b so with the story and the kind of player agency stuff out of the way um i don't really have much else good to say about this game if i'm being quite frank i think uh those two things the best part <laughs> about system shock one um and if i'm well, before, being quite before honest, we do that should we um should we jump into a music break jimmy oh yeah let's do that um let's start with <laughs> let's start with uh something i do hate about this game which is uh the soundtrack <laughs> Um, I think the soundtrack in this game is pretty abysmal for the most part, honestly, with, you know, no. one or two tracks <laughs> that I really like. Um, and the one that got stuck in my head, like an annoying mosquito that I'll never forget and gives me nightmares to this day, is the main menu music. So, uh, <laughs> sorry guys, here it is. That was the main menu music. I really hated it, and uh, I hope you hated it too. Uh, Nick, before we went to the break, you uh, you, you, you seemed uh, like you enjoyed the soundtrack. Did you want to give a quick thoughts on it? So I'd heard about this game. I had an idea of what the tone of this game was, and when I first load into the game, that first level one hospital level, the theme of that level is so digital and like upbeat, it's jarring. You... 
you start the game and you're like, what do I know? Did I not understand what this game was going to be? be it, it's so video gamey that first level. And I did not like it. I, I, and I, and then I kept playing and I kept playing, but then by the end of that level, I was like, all right, I'm, I'm on board. I like it. I like it quite a bit. I really liked that one. And I liked a, a few others throughout the game, but I, it definitely had to grow on me because yeah. it doesn't, I, I would never say that generally the score of the soundtrack of this game does not necessarily fit the mood of the game in yeah. any way, shape, or form. And that should be a bad thing. Correct. It just kind of hooked me, and I'm like, you know what? This is your thing. <laughs> Fine. Let's do it. You didn't discover the Control-M shortcut. Oh, I, uh, I, I discovered that <laughs> shortcut very early on. Honestly... Some of the soundtrack is quite good. I really like the ones that lead into that really 80s, funky, cyberpunk-ish style. I don't know how else to describe it. Um, but the problem with a lot of the tracks is that most of the tracks start off atrociously and then become good, like, 40 seconds into them, where... Oftentimes when you encounter an enemy, it dynamically switches the music, so you're constantly hearing these really bad openings of the track rather than the good bits, which are actually, you know, further into the song. I don't know if you uh, you guys noticed that, but when I was, like, re-listening to the music before we started recording, I was like, this isn't as bad as I remember, and then, like, I'd scrub back to the start of it and think, oh... I remember this. <laughs> so I um I strongly dislike the music, uh, like James. I agree with what you said, Nick, that it doesn't fit the atmosphere at all. But instead of liking it for some reason, for that reason, like a strange person, <laughs> I instead just disliked it. Um, what this game really needed was something more akin to Thief's or Quake's soundtrack, something atmospheric. Yes. Because this game, if it's evocative of any atmosphere, at least and in particular in the early levels it's it's like horror this is a horror game you're on a space station with basically nothing and it's swarming with enemies you should be terrified we needed something dark and slow and melodic something that's hovering in the background making you scared instead we get this weird techno drum and bass garbage that we've seen in a few games before so thumbs down for me for the soundtrack yeah, it's, not, it's, it's not horror in any way you just feel like you're watching a, a bad 80s movie. <laughs> i came into this game thinking it was a horror game but nowhere online can i find it described as that like system shock 2 yeah but honestly if this game is trying to be a horror game i think it fails at it in every conceivable way like i was never tense or scared or you know worried about anything in this game uh i, I don't know if you guys felt like it did a good job in that area. I was not scared. There, there are points where I think it gets close to evoking that atmosphere. Um, level three uh, is, I think it's maintenance. It's like kind of a somewhat dark level. And there are the invisible mutants. Oh my God. They're terrible. The vision's poor. So shit. And there's blood written on the walls and there's gore. I can guarantee in 1994, this game was terrifying for people to play through. But broadly speaking, I agree. This One of the ways in which this game has failed the test of time is that it's no longer a scary game. And it's not even remotely a scary game. But I'm sure it once was. 
Man, the the fucking reactor level that is filled with these like blue pelvic thrusting robots that just like float <laughs> around looking retarded. I, I uh, the hoppers, the hop. I, I, man, I hated those things, but they were they were so stupid looking. It just made me laugh every time I saw their shit animations. You're not equipped to fight them when you first come across them. There's a few of them on level one, and those and the invisible mutants. I felt both times when I first hit them, it was kind of like a, a difficulty spike. Yeah. Where I'm just like, am I even supposed to be here right now? Something's not right. But then I found that uh, that laser the sword, sword that, yeah, like, yeah. the laser rapier. <laughs> that thing, I used it's that insane. for almost the whole game. I used it all it's the time. That thing yeah. wrecks. Yeah, can we talk about the the weird wonky difficulty curve in that game? Um Patrick, I know you played on hard and I played on hard. Nick, what did uh, it, how did you set your difficulty when you started? All normal. I went through all normal, oh, but yeah. I did think it was pretty crazy that you could change. Like it wasn't just difficulty. You could change the puzzle difficulty, the combat difficulty. There's a lot of options. So I asked on Reddit, the recommendation is to, like, you can put things on normal or hard, but you definitely don't put story on hard. Because if story is on hard, there's an eight-hour time limit. So it's kind of like a new game plus option. It's there for when you, you've you played the game once or twice before and just want to speed through it. Playing this game on an eight-hour eight hour time limit your first way through is just insane. Like, I, I don't know why anyone would choose to do that. I think I spent the first, like, three levels in eight hours, never mind the whole <laughs> fucking game. <laughs> You'd have to know exactly what you need to do. There's yeah. no way you yeah, could do yeah. it the first time. Yeah, it's definitely for veteran players of the games only. So, me and Patrick played on hard, and you've played on normal. Um, so, my experience with the difficulty in this game uh, was that for the first three levels, everything was extremely bullet-spongy and terrifying. Um, so, I guess... I guess to properly go into my problems with the difficulty, we kind of have to explain the respawn and death system in this game. So with the deaths in this game, essentially, when you start off in a level, if you die, um, you go to a game over and you have to reload your save. Once you've explored the level for a while, you come across these like reanimation chambers which you can turn on, and from there on, every time you die, you respawn at the reanimation chamber. Um, one of the biggest issues I have about this game is this system, because the reanimation chamber once activated, uh, there is basically no downside to dying in this game, because when you die, you instantly respawn with full health, and then an can upside. continue on your way. Yeah, it's an upside even. You're like you're actively encouraged to die often to refill your health bar. So what I found I was doing on hard was because like when you first get to a level, health packs are at a premium because if you die before you find the chamber, you you know, you have to reload your save and start again. So I was doing everything I could to preserve my health packs, no matter what, which meant that as soon as I activated the cha the chamber, I would never ever ever activate a health pack and would instead just throw my corpse at room after room of hard enemies uh, until they were gone. Like, uh, I found the most effective way to handle these first three levels was kind of to, you know, just find the chamber as fast as I could and then from there on just, you know, use the lead pipe or whatever shit ammo-less weapon I had at the time to clear out things without wasting resources. So I didn't use the chamber uh, for the most part. 
I had been looking online and someone on the internet was like, oh, I consider it cheating. I'm like, well, I want to be a cheater. All right. Except on level <laughs> three because those mutants are, they're bullshit. But um, in general, I didn't uh, use that. But, you know, the game does allow you to save scum. So it's not like you have yeah. to clear a level perfectly. Uh, so that's kind of how I did it. But I'll, I'll want to talk about the combat because you cannot take very much in this game. Like you die very yes. quickly. And there is some shenanigans with opening doors and dying that does not even feel fair. Basically, I played the game like Nick as well. I was primarily quick saving. Um, I didn't really use your strategy, okay. James. Like uh, if um, if I died, I'd reload a save. Or if I got taken off guard, I'd reload a save. And I was pretty content to use the health packs I found and take, I guess, gradual chip damage over the course of a level. Um, the times I used the um, the chambers was when Shodan caught me in an ambush because over the course of the game, there's a few times where Shodan catches you in an ambush, the doors slam behind you and five guys attack you. I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty sure I'm just meant to die here rather than try and do this encounter perfectly. Yeah. <laughs> so so when that happened, I was like, all right, Shodan, you win this round. Um, but most of the time I was just using quick saves just because, I don't know, the downtime from you know, having to go back to your stuff was more hurtful to me than having to use the resources that you're meant to use. Uh, as long as you didn't go nuts with them, there were plenty of resources, even on those first few levels. You just had to get a bit creative with grenades and things like that. Right. So you didn't, you used the quick save a lot more than I did. Cause I found that like another awful gameplay pattern that I was incentivized into in the first three levels was, um, on the very first level of the game, the hospital, there is this um, this station which you can double click on to refill your health, and a uh, you know like a power conduit nearby to refill your energy. Um, and on level two, those items are broken. So before you find the respawn, you know it it's very very encouraged it felt like to just be constantly running back to the very first room of the game to refill your health pack um i probably refilled my health like a couple hundred times from the first level um after oh i'd run God. out of you know Are health you ups and stamina <laughs> Are you ups because uh, i yeah no i i was always like running out of health um and i didn't want to be save scumming the entire game so okay. you know th i didn't really have a choice honestly I basically save scummed instead of doing that. Yeah, I, me too. I, I, yeah. I never went back to level one. I couldn't find the damn thing. I mean, I don't think either of these options are particularly good. I don't think uh, your game should require the player to either abuse these, you know, stupid systems like I did, or abuse scave scumming like you guys did. For sure. Okay, let's 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 jump right into the um, the combat, and I guess the essential hit scan mechanics of shooting enemies and being shot, because a lot of what we're talking about hinges on that. So, um, James, considering I'll get you to to start off with your feelings, because you 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 came up very strongly saying this game basically does nothing good apart from the story. So, lay it on us. How do you how do you feel about the essential combat mechanics in this game? I fucking hate this game's combat. Holy shit. The first episode of this show that we did was the original Doom, right? Which came out a year prior to this game and still manages to have really fun shooting mechanics to this day uh, based on the speed at which you move and, you know, the feedback you get when you shoot enemies. When you shoot enemies in this game, it doesn't feel good at all. The enemies don't react with cool animations to know that, you know, you've blasted them in the face 
face with this big shotgun. They just take it and you can't, you don't even know that you've hit them until you get this item in a later level, which shows this, you know, the word hit above their head once you hit them. Uh, it, it's really bad. I really didn't enjoy the gunplay in this game. Uh, a lot of the laser weapons auto lock on, so you don't even need to aim. And the only actually effective weapon in the game that I found was a melee weapon. Um, so I basically avoided shooting whenever I could unless there was no way to get into close combat. Yeah, the combat is uh, extremely, extremely rough in this game. I had a hard time with uh, the grenades, which are, can be pretty effective. <laughs> but you're essentially oh like go in the smallest room or hallway in your house and picture throwing a grenade because I killed myself way more than I killed other people with grenades. Yeah, You'd, me too. All the time. It drove me insane. Every grenade was uh, multiple loaded saves, basically, every time I tried to use one. You just can't throw them very far at all unless you're, like, looking straight up. And even then, you know, they no, don't go no, that I, far. No, no, they were tough. So, James, I want to... Um... I, I want to jump in, and um, I'm not I'm not going to lay down a defense of the shooting mechanics because I agree they're very flawed. But I wanted to point out that I think comparing the shooting mechanics to Doom is probably a mistake um, in terms of how you should categorize how this game works. The thing about Doom and you know other first person shooters, Call of Duty, Halo, you name it, is that the substance of the game is in shooting enemies well reacting to enemy fire dodging enemy fire etc etc whereas i feel like a game like system shock if you could use your skill at the game to effectively kill enemies it would not be the same game it would it would completely remove all of the ammo management it would remove a lot of the elements that make this kind of like survivalish but you can though there are there are strategies you can use but i think i don't conceptualize system shock as a first person shooter i see it as like a first person adventure game does that excuse the shooting mechanics no i i think there are definitely ways in which to criticize it but the fact remains that every single game in this genre to the present day, um, Prey uh, and uh, Deus Ex, the original, come to mind, have fundamentally poor shooting mechanics. And that's by design. You're not meant to be able to skillfully overcome those challenges with FPS abilities. One of my problems with this argument is that you kind of can bypass a lot of enemies with you know, really questionable techniques in this game. One of these is, like, if you stand at a wall and you half cover yourself with a corner, you can shoot a bunch of enemies without them reacting to you, uh, mm -hmm. to the point where, like, you can just cheese every enemy you come across if you can get a good angle on them. In addition, the enemies in this game rotate very slowly and as such are very susceptible of being circle-strafed. Like, uh... I, as soon as I figured that out, I pulled out the sword and I never put it away and I just like ran, sprinted at enemies and then hit them while running in circles and you know, from then on I never had to use my shitty uh, strategies again because I never lost health. For a game that has an all-powerful AI, the AI in this uh, game is, is atrocious. They're like, <laughs> half, half of the time they won't even react if you're, if you're shooting some of them. It, it's bad. It, it's just real bad. But what drove me like really 
would tick me off is there's some panels that you have to hack to open a door and you have to look at you have to look at the panel and then when you hack it the door opens immediately and then there's like three hoppers standing there and they shoot you i had so many times where i was like well what am i supposed to do here like what am i doing wrong i got trapped in these god-awful sequences so many times in this game like by far the worst was on level seven engineering I, after I'd blown up the reactor and I was trying to run up to the bridgehead, uh, Shodan spawns all of these extra enemies in every level, and it's like, it's a nightmare to get through them, right? And then, so I die on level 7 engineering, which sends me to the spawn point, and I'm like, okay, I'll save my game here, whatever. Um, and then I didn't realize, but the room is suddenly filled with like 10 dudes all shooting at me. <laughs> so I was stuck in this loop where I would respawn and then like not even two seconds later, die again, respawn, die, respawn, die for like 20 minutes until I was able to like throw enough grenades in these half second intervals that everything around me was destroyed. And then, you know, because I threw grenades, I actually managed to destroy the healing station in that room and didn't notice until I quick-saved my game. So I just, like, completely fucked myself because I was, like, desperate to get out of this shit situation. And that stuff happened all the fucking time while playing this game. I don't think the combat's good. In fact, I think it's terrible. But my criticism of it is less the way you shoot enemies and the way you kill enemies and more that there is no other way to proceed through the game. And and that that's the substance of my problem with System Shock in the immersive sim genre. Um, there should be stealth options, there should be hacking options, there should be alternate routes you can take. This is what immersive sims are meant to be about. But System Shock is always, always, always a battle of attrition. And there are techniques in inverted commas that you can do to get past enemies, but it all all boils down to just shooting enemies. And it's not engaging. It's not fun. It basically boils down to busy work. So I strongly dislike it, but not because the shooting isn't fun, but because there's no other way to get through past objectives except for the shooting. Immersive sims are at their best when they have both options. Well, like, uh, Mm. you can play through Dishonored without killing anybody. And I think the reason it makes the whole game better, even the combat side, is it it forces the developers to overlay those two things. They have to work together. You have to be able to do all combat or do, you know, a no-kill run, or you can even mix and match it. I, I really think it adds a lot to the genre, and my favorite immersive sims are always the ones that I can go through without killing. I didn't know that this game had no like RPG elements in it at all because System Shock hmm. 2 has them, Bioshock has them. All of the Deus games Ex. in this genre, yeah, Deus Ex, have ways to upgrade and change your character so that every playthrough um, you know, changes or you know, your gameplay experience evolves as the game goes on. This game has none of that, and I was actually quite surprised because it gets very monotonous very fast, especially on hard, where there's a lot of situations where you can shoot enemies, but they can't shoot you. However, it still takes like 20 bullets to kill them. So you just there's there's no way to upgrade your character. 
Um, you just get stuck in these situations where you're forced to sit there slugging at this like non-threatening target for you know like a minute before it dies. So a big part of the problem is the fact that so many of these enemies are hit-scan enemies. It's something that we've covered in a few of the first-person shooters before, and broadly speaking, um, James and I are far more in favour of projectile-based enemies that you can interact with. The one scenario in which hit-scan enemies are acceptable is if the hit-scan enemies are just as vulnerable to you shooting at them as they shooting at you, like in Call of Duty, and even in something like Doom. The chain gunners are notorious for how deadly they are, but they die in a few hits, so there's a sense of balance there. The hit-scan enemies in System Shock don't die in one or two hits. They're, they're all tanks. They all take a million hits, so there's no balance of satisfaction there. I did notice that all of them have like a kind of startup time on their shots. So if you break line of sight with them while they're like, you know, charging up their attack, they have to reset. So if you just like dance back and forth between a wall, they'll never shoot. Um, I don't know. I just, I felt it very abusable, very boring and very uninteractive, honestly. I just, I hate the combat in this game. Um, and it becomes so much better when you get the energy sword because you don't have to use the guns. Did, did, <laughs> did you guys interact with uh, the consumable items, the different types of boosters? I, I did a little bit. Um, in the end, I deferred to the strategy of, um, of I guess, sh- corner shooting, I guess you'd call it. Enemies' hitboxes kind of extend. Uh, they're, they're literally a square box. It's literally a, like a rectangular hitbox and it it extends beyond their character model. So you can, as James said, you can just safely shoot them from cover. So I found them not very useful, except early on I used the Berserk one a few times to make my lead pipe better. Did I miss like a a description on these things? Because besides just the name of them, I I was like, how do these work? Like, what does each one of them do? I have like, am I playing Dark Souls? What's going on here? Yeah, There are are descriptions... um, uh, we can go on to talking about the UI here because that's that's a major part of this game. Uh, oh my god! But before we do, we'll we'll have a music break. Uh, basic, basically, just in short, uh, you can bring up detailed descriptions of every item in your inventory in the bottom or left hand corner if you find the correct tab. Okay. So uh, there, there, there really? were descriptions of <laughs> every single item <laughs> available to you. I never found that. But um, before we. Yeah, let's let's have a break and then we can then we can jump into it. Um, Nick, do you wanna do you wanna tell us your favorite music piece and we'll uh, we'll jump into that for the break? Yeah, my favorite one came uh, on the level six executive level, and it starts off pretty slow, and that's kind of a building level, and then it peaks about a minute in, and I feel like it calls back a little bit to that first song, uh, just a little bit, and it know, it has everything that I liked about the hospital level one, just with a slightly different tones. All right, well, this is uh, level six executive suite.
So that was level six executive suite. Now it's time for us to get into talking about the UI because System Shock, of course, has a very unique one, a very strange one, one that you may not be used to at first. So I'll quickly explain it and then we'll jump into the discussion. So basically, playing System Shock is all about toggling between two modes. The first mode is just will just be completely normal to anyone who's played a first-person game before. Use, use WASD to move, space to jump, you can crouch, you can look around. It's completely normal. Where System Shock gets weird is that whenever you press the E key, your character freezes and your screen is locked, and instead the mouse moves your cursor around the screen. You can use the cursor to interact with objects in the game world by double-clicking them. Um, you can use it to uh, you can use it to you know shoot guns, or you can use it to uh, you can use it to use items in your inventory, which are displayed in tabs on the bottom of your screen and there are various other tabs on the left and right hand side of your screens that fulfill a wide range of functions. So when you play System Shock you're basically constantly and I mean constantly switching between these two modes. So I have my opinions on the UI but we'll leave the best to last. Um, Nick, what were your feelings on the UI? Did you like the UI? Was it a dumpster fire? Where Where do you stand? I mean, it has to be a dumpster fire. I uh, I adjusted to it when I first started. You You really have to see it to believe it because the the general UI takes up most of the screen and it gives you this this little window of what you can see of the game and so when i first started i'm just like are we like seriously this is this is the this is what this is how i'm supposed to shoot people now you can go there is a tab on the side you can go to full screen mode i did not uh, use that because i you constantly need the ui in order to do things so correct i or did, did you go full screen? I played the whole game with the, all the UI. Oh, my God. I, yeah. I also played the yeah. entire game with the whole UI for Why? the exact same reason. Like, Why? I constantly would have had... Like, I tried to play the first level with oh, it turned no. off. But I constantly needed to turn it back on to, like, interact with the environment. Like, it was such a pain in the ass that I just dealt with the tiny little viewport in the middle of the screen. You know? I am so I just, sorry for both it of you. It was so <laughs> clunky. <laughs> <laughs> I played one. I played in full screen like the entire game. Like outside the first ten minutes, I was in full screen mode literally the entire game. Wow! It looks so bad with it turned off though. Like all the information the, is there. Like, though. All the text, all the text elements are still overlaid laid over the screen. It's like you know those screenshots you see online where people have like edited UIs to have extra shit all over this them to make them look bad. Like <laughs> this is actually what that's like. You know, it's not even ironic in the slightest. It's just half, more than half of your screen is obscured the entire game. So I would, I would liken learning this game um, when you first start playing recently. James and I played this game called Archimedean Dynasty. It's a submarine sim. And I would say this UI is like, it's a first person game that's like learning how to pilot a submarine <laughs> because <laughs> the person you're controlling and all the different tabs and everything, you need to learn how to control your character. They're like a mech. Yeah. You need to learn how to press all the buttons to get this person to operate as a normal human being would. 
Yeah, except where Archimedean Dynasty, it was actually kind of fun to learn the UI because it was really immersive. You were in the cockpit. This game just felt incredibly clunky by comparison. You said the term you're constantly switching between these two modes where you have like free look and kind of almost point and click adventure mode. But the game like forces switches on you. Like every time you go into an enemy's inventory, it automatically switches to this weird control scheme and like various other points in the game it just forces you into that other mode and i found it so jarring whenever it did that yeah same thing this is super frustrating every time it did it i was i would either think i needed to push e and then i was locked in the wrong way and then i would push e again and then get my stuff in the the ui it is such a train wreck i <laughs> it's so bad i, I regularly i i don't know if it, if it's just hidden there but i really don't know how to tell how many clips of ammo i had but i always just reloaded it's very very odd the whole thing yeah there's there's even different types of uh ammo that i uh, about halfway through the game i was like oh there are different types okay that's cool i'll try <laughs> this i'll try through. this oh clip. my yeah. god yeah me too so guys i i really liked the ui of this game that, that may be going me? too far i quite liked it yeah so so the thing about the ui is that rather than say so so the way a game like prey or deus ex works is that you've got this these inventory systems and then you've got a quest tab and those all of those systems always have to take up your full screen like the game the game pauses essentially while you access all the different pieces of information what System Shock does is it has a million tabs in full screen when you play in full screen mode. All of those tabs are closed by default and you get to open up exactly which ones you want for a given moment. Wait, 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 wait. wait. So, okay, wait, wait, wait. But exactly the one that you want? Are you kidding me? Like, the amount of times... <laughs> I, like, I specifically looked up the hotkey to display the minimap because it was never fucking open when I wanted it to be open. Like, the game was constantly putting useless info over the box where the minimap was supposed to be. And, like, I was constantly wrestling with it to do what I wanted. And just, like, every time you quick save, it took away the minimap. Every time you interacted with an object, it took away the minimap. Just leave it on the screen. Holy shit. That that wasn't happening to me. I, I don't know if this is a difference between the full screen mode and the weird mode you guys played on for whatever <laughs> fucking reason. But, but basically... Because you can open and close these tabs at will, you can choose to have what, you know, to have the minimap up or descriptions of items or whatever you want up whenever you, and everything is a single click away. Yes, learning how to use it was a nightmare. It took me, I don't know, three to four hours before I was comfortable with it. But once you were comfortable with this inventory system, there is something pretty special about everything being one click away and not having to pause the game every time you wanted to, to check a piece of information you know most game the minimap is zero clicks away it's just always on the screen well it was for me i i, I don't i don't know what you were doing but i always had the minimap I don't know, nick did you have that problem as well i had all the problems this this is terrible <laughs> the, the, the best part about the whole thing is you, you get these neuro uh, upgrades as you play through it one of them is like a rearview mirror 
that you could just have up on your screen? Oh my god. I thought it was a joke at first. I couldn't understand it. And then I realized when this game first released, there was no mouse look. So it would have been a nifty way. But uh-huh. even then, it's very suspicious. It gets upgrades as well. You get like extra, yeah, you up- <laughs> extra like rear view room <laughs> as the game goes on. Uh, the most advanced cybernetic human in the world now with a few mirrors yeah. guys <laughs> yeah. so dumb uh, it is dumb that that is the worst upgrade is quite funny um those upgrades i actually hated um not just a quick detour from the ui because uh one thing that i liked about well not liked but thought was okay was exploration until i realized that like halfway through the game all of the things i found were just things i'd already found and were thrown away for no reason because they were these Mm -hmm. like upgrades but there was like 10 of them in every level just to make sure you didn't miss them so every time i found a cool secret area it was something i'd already gotten so it just threw it in the scrap heap i think that um that's probably a problem with the level design kind of not being as you know as brilliant as modern levels are the idea of having multiple copies of these upgrades scattered about is actually very cool because it creates this non-linear path all these non-linear paths you can go down and you eventually get the items you need but system shock in terms of how i progressed through the game at least which was exploring every nook and cranny I had the same issue you did, James, where I was just constantly finding redundant guns and pieces of tech. In cyberspace, which we haven't even covered. Oh, my fucking oh God. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> the worst. I, wanna, I just want to <laughs> linger on the HUD a bit more, sorry. Um, there was this okay. thing that happened to me, and this is probably my fault about being a big dum-dum, um, but... Early on in the game, um, so one of the things in the UI is the health and your energy. And the energy symbol Mm -hmm. is like a lightning bolt that looks kind of like the letter S. And something that I was doing in the very first level was I was trying to sprint around. And then the game was constantly being like, you're out of stamina. And I thought that because the lightning bolt looked like an S, that was the stamina bar. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to pile battery after battery into it until I can start running again. And I think I wasted like three batteries until I realized I was a fucking idiot. You you are dumb, James. I agree. (laughs) I agree. Also, what the fuck? Does that like weird heart rate monitor in the top left of the the screen do? Did anybody figure that out? No. Well, I had it closed, so no, I, I'm not sure how to read that thing. I think that might tell you when you're getting tired when you're sprinting, but I'm not sure how to read it. Yeah, there's this big heart rate monitor that takes up like I don't know, like a sixth of your screen when you've got the HUD enabled, and it just completely useless uh and then there's this little man that like shows you if you're crouching or not because apparently or leaning or whatever or leaning or whatever because apparently it's too hard to realize that you're like prone on the floor you need this like ui element to tell you i don't even know if those stances were hotkeyed in the original version of the game you might have had to click on the portrait (laughs) oh man Uh, that's (laughs) oh man yeah i did quite like the pulse upgrade when you get it upgraded a few levels that just let you run around super fast i don't know if you guys use that one much but i use that one a lot uh couldn't you just do that all the time maybe i didn't use it but it consumed energy not stamina so yeah, it made you very very fast the boots right, were okay. the boots were pretty neat but they burned battery yeah. so fast so fast yeah yeah 
Yeah, I, I I agree with Nick with this one. The UI in this game is a complete garbage fire. Like, I think that System Shock 1 has the worst user interface of any game I've ever played, probably. Uh, it was horrifically bad. <laughs> I certainly hated it at first, but like I said, I maintain that there's an economy of information here once you know how to use it. And I think that's the main problem, right? It's it's very difficult to learn how to use. But once you've got a grip on it, it's actually I found it quite pleasant. I was I was really enjoying playing this game. Um, You're insane. And, you know, using the <laughs> I, I I mean, the gameplay is one thing, right? But I think that the the way you can navigate every single piece of information without going into pause menus is is quite good having to pick up items manually off the ground by like mousing over them and then like dragging them into your pocket as opposed to every other modern game where you just hover over it and press the pickup button such a pain in the ass yeah but you're getting goodies so it feels good to take some time ammo. there's just no reason to have to drag it like you weren't dragging it yeah. to a, a different pouch or anything it was just dragging for dragging's sake just specifically on this idea because there's a lot of uh, the other big one i think is reloading like the way you reload a gun is you need to press you know, the r drag button. your mouse you press uh, I, the I wasn't button. using that oh. i was i was manually <laughs> reloading and manually changing all my weapons and <laughs> all that stuff it really didn't bother me i actually thought it was completely fine because this isn't a first person shooter i I don't know, there's something about this specific brand of clunkiness in games like this that I don't hate because it's not about, I don't know, the smoothness of, you know, this kind of experience. It's about how do I use the tools at my disposal? So I don't want an experience like Dishonored when I'm playing this game. I don't want to be flying around killing people instantly blinking and jumping off them in fact i expect and kind of hope for a degree of clunkiness because it's essential to this kind of experience i think you're insane it, it could have been done better i'm not trying to say this is a masterpiece i'm just saying that these things that bother you guys so much i kind of took took as part of part of the immersive sim deal but but maybe that's just me being too kind to it maybe that is you being too kind okay so not it's not a masterpiece it's like the opposite of a masterpiece <laughs> it is so bad i i'm glad i never have to see it again honestly um but i guess we'll, we'll disagree we'll agree to disagree on this one um so where did you want to go from here um, is there anything that you wanted to touch on, Nick, before you get to, like, aesthetics and stuff like that? Um, a couple of funny things. There's, uh, we talked about the chamber that brings you back to life once you pull the lever. And this is a, a, yeah. it's an immersive sim, so I like to think about this in the real world. And the idea that there's these rooms that have a lever that you can just say, should I make evil robots <laughs> or should we heal humans is just the best thing ever. <laughs> uh, so, and the showdown can't like flip it back, yeah, right? And, and, like, like, no one questioned that these levers are there. That it, It's so good. That just cracks me up. Um and then yeah. uh, I don't know if we're going to talk about the ending later, but the ending was the most jarring, like, game's done, bye. Okay, what? What Did I even, like, kill the boss? I, it was very odd. Yeah, right? It was very odd. Did either of you do what I did and um, activate the laser without activating the shields first and uh, destroy her? <laughs> no. Yeah, I did that too. <laughs> I was like, ah, button. Ooh, laser. 
pulled the laser. thing. It's like, yeah. uh, and the thing was, I can't even make the excuse because I'd read the audio logs that said you need yeah, to do this first. It's, I was just like, it's a game. You just press the buttons. No. Uh, the only other thing I have is I, I did enjoy, I play a lot of JRPGs and what the thing you do, the thing oh, you do. Oh, no. So I'm so sorry. Here's the thing. Yes, yes. The way JRPGs work <laughs> is that you play through them and you get really useful items the whole game. You never use them and then you beat the boss and then you just end the game because you're always saving them up. And I was really happy that I could do that in this game because by the end of the game, I was just like ripe with grenades <laughs> and mines and consumables because I never knew if yeah, I would need it, which I didn't, but I might have. Um, you touched on uh, cyberspace before. Can we jump into that as being a... a uh, I'm hoping that Patrick uh, has some taste in this section and uh, isn't going to disagree with us. Yeah, it's fucking... It, it's all right. It's it's basically early 3d stuff I, I read some reviews of this game and they were complimenting oh cyberspace saying it was like <laughs> this, I know, I know. it's like why is this even here like i would prefer the pipe mini game in bioshock to this <laughs> like give me anything but this was it just the traveling around in a 3d space that maybe it impressed people like i it's so bad. Yeah, it would have been that, oh yeah. My gosh. For those of you who don't know, um, so the main character's a hacker, and of course you go around the game and you hack stuff. And, uh, you know, every game has a bad hacking minigame, and this is no exception, because uh, when you jump into these, like, hacking terminals, you're thrown into these weird geometric spaces that have these walls that only have vertices. Like, the, the actual wall part is completely see-through, and you have to navigate these walls weird mazes that you can't really tell like where the walls are because if there's two like tunnels overlapping each other and you're like where you're looking you can't tell which one's closest to you really so you get lost a lot and it has like even worse shooting mechanics than the rest of the <laughs> game surprisingly yeah. like this if, I, uh. if there's anything about the cyberspace that impresses me it's that it had worse shooting than the rest of system shock <laughs> one so uh. um not only that but the objectives inside cyberspace are extremely vague like there is these things that you have to shoot that apparently are switches that don't look like switches at all they're just like these blocks and you just shoot them and it's like yeah you flipped the switch something happened uh <laughs> like the first time i encountered one of these stations i had to do the segment like four times before i figured that there was this stupid yellow block that i was supposed to shoot for some god known reason um yeah this was just god awful the first time I did it, I immediately quit, and I'm like, well, that's just a dumb mini game. Definitely never going to interact with that again for the rest of the game. There's no way. And, yeah, uh, I mean, there's useful items in it throughout the game, so you need to do it to unlock certain doors and stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's just, it sucks. It's so bad. Uh, so let's um let's jump into our final music break, and then we can cover, like, the ending of the game and then some of the aesthetics things. Unless uh, there's any... Oh, I have so much more, about, more gameplay stuff to talk about, though. Oh, yeah, sure. Well, do you want to hit up some gameplay stuff, and then we'll go into the music break? Sorry, so before we go into the music break, just one last thing. We spoke about this game having its terrible minigame, and I kind of lied a bit about that, right? Because this isn't the only terrible hacking minigame that this <laughs> game has. There are actually two more um one of which is okay it's like like you kind of click around it and you can kind of work out what to do the other one however the wire puzzles 
are probably the single worst minigame I have ever seen in a game that I've ever played. I, I have no idea how they're so bad, right? So... What happens is you find these panels that, you know, when you hack them, opens a door nearby. That's fine. So when you click on it, it opens this interface in your inventory that has um, so like four nodules on the left and four on the right and a bunch of wires going from left to right in different, you know, orientations. And what you have to do is you have to figure out the correct combination of like which wire connects to which bit. The problem with this is that there is absolutely nothing uh, that you can, like, like, there's no logic to it. I don't even know if it's classified as a puzzle. It's pure trial and error, right? There That's is not nothing true. you can learn. There's nothing. Is it? Is there something that I missed? Yeah, because you, to um, me, you look at the power bar. You, you look at the power bar, but it's trial and error to see what the power bar is going to do. It's still pure trial and error, right? Oh, right. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, you just start with one wire, try and get the bar up high, then you move on to the second wire and hope it all yeah. works out. Yeah. So you played this game, Nick, on normal on every category, mm -hmm. correct? So I looked up the differences between the puzzles on normal and hard because Patrick and I played it on hard. So on normal, there's a bunch of yellow wires, I think. And if you connect the correct nodes, then it, the door opens. On hard, these wires are actually colored, and you need to get the correct wire in the correct spot, so it's like three times as difficult. Oh, great. I would liken, yeah, I would liken this minigame to just going down to your local school and trying to steal this kid's bike by guessing the padlock <laughs> combination. Like, like at least, at least in that instance, you get a cool bike out of it. In this game, you just get to play more System Shock. Who wants to do no, that? In this right? game, a door opens and you get shot immediately. Yeah, and die, yeah. and then have to redo the puzzle. I'm not. Uh, I'm not saying so it's good. It's bad, but it takes like a minute and a half, and you're done, right? Like it's not. Um, it's not okay, a massive wait, wait, wait. time consumer. So to prove this point, um, on one of the harder puzzles, I asked one of my housemates to come sit down and try to do the puzzle. It took him a solid ten minutes to do it, <laughs> like, and he wasn't doing oh it particularly God. slow. And halfway it's through, he ten halfway minutes. through. Yeah, yeah. Halfway through, with a straight face, he goes, So, is there a way for me to know which one goes where? <laughs> and I said, Nope. And he goes, Oh. And just, like, doesn't finish the puzzle. He just gets up and leaves. <laughs> like, it's not a puzzle. There's nothing to tell you what to do. Like, it's just pure trial and error. It's it's awful. I hated it so much. Every time I found one of these, I saved and closed the game and then came back later. I, I basically did them all in, like, a minute and a half, two minutes. Because once you... You basically just do it one wire at a time and you knock it out really quickly. Like, I don't think they're good. I think the game would be better if they're gone, but... Ultimately, they consumed so little of my time that it didn't bother me too much. Yeah, no, I, I got stuck on these because I just wasn't, like, I found it really hard to remember which combinations I tried because, like, one wire can only inhabit the same nodule, like, at a time. So you kind of had to, like, juggle them around until you just happened to find the right one. The best okay. um, consumable in this game was the one that solves them automatically for you. Like, <laughs> there was nothing, there was nothing in this game I was happier to find than these, like, get past the shit puzzle for free item. I just, it's horrendous. Okay, so now that James has finished being mad about something that probably took 10 minutes total of his time, it's time for the music break. And we're getting to the best one. Now, 
I strongly dislike this soundtrack, as uh, as I've already alluded to. But one of the funniest things in the entire game is the elevator music, which is the music I've selected. Because the <laughs> abrupt transition from weird techno beats to the moment you step into an elevator, generic elevator music starts playing, is quite hilarious. And there's one moment in particular when you leave the medical bay for the first time and you go up to the um, the second floor. You, the elevator door opens automatically and there's like 15 enemies on the other side of you all while the yeah. elevator music is playing is uh, is quite hilarious. So I thought that was a very funny thing. It would troll. have been funny if the uh, gameplay section didn't suck. But anyway, <laughs> um, let's go to the break. So here's the funny elevator music. That was the uh, funny elevator music, which I kind of agree with Patrick is probably the best track in the game because it actually, you know, has some value to the player. But um, before, Nick, you mentioned the ending of the game being quite abrupt. Did you want to talk about that for a bit? Yeah, so the the way it happens is, one, the end boss you fight in cyberspace, which is a, a questionable decision, an understandable decision since it's an AI, but, like, it's the worst part of the game. But... <laughs> You uh, <laughs> you go and and you navigate through cyberspace and then you come up to Shodan and you just fire your gun at the boss. The boss she doesn't yeah. attack you, except that she's trying to like take over your mind. So like your screen is slowly becoming her yeah. face, and then you kill her. But nothing happens in game. You're shooting her one second and then it's just like instant cutscene. And it says, it's over. I, I think underneath it says, it's over. It shows yeah. your guy. And he's like leaning against a wall tired. And then it's just this short, quick end that's like, uh, I was offered a job at Trioptimum, but I should I didn't take it. Back to hacking. Old, habit, old habits die hard. And it just shows old your character in a dark room uh. hacking. And, and, and then the game's over and the system shot comes up on the screen and you're just like what seriously like like we you, so much story was in this game and then you gave us like <laughs> 10 seconds of an ending oh my god like for context there's this scene in the game where you blow up the reactor and then you have to like detach the bulkhead like the bridge of the station so that it flies off and the rest of the station explodes so it's just you in this small part of the ship with these mad insane ai robots trying to kill you and then you destroy shodan which you know apparently is a single file that you deleted or something and then it doesn't explain how you get off this station at all like you just suddenly teleport back to the city i i don't understand understand it's so unsatisfying uh and I, I don't know i wasn't expecting much but i was expecting more than that i am um, i completely agree with you guys i found the main story in system shock to actually be a really 
enjoyable game of cat and mouse. Shodan did, you know, as in bad, in typical bad guy fashion, did overly telegraph what her next evil move was. But I liked the pull and tug of the plot, how, you know, you have to stop the laser or you have to activate the laser into the shields and then you have to jettison the whatever. And then to have after all of that build up, it end in that way is terrible. And yeah, I um, I hope System Shock 2 gives me the resolution I need when we finally do that, James, because I was not satisfied at the end of this game. Uh, me neither. Yeah, I, I, it was just bad. Um, it was just terrible. So with that out of the way, I guess there's only one kind of gameplay section to talk about, and that's level design. Um, one big issue I had with it was that very early on in the game, there's this audio log that suggests Shodan has been remodeling the place. And what that actually means from a gameplay point of view is that like half the geometry of the levels just makes no fucking sense from a layout perspective. Um, I thought the, the level of design was incredibly confusing and made basically no sense functionally. Um, and it felt like that little bit at the start was just an excuse, basically. Um, Nick, I don't know how you felt about it. It definitely did not immerse you in any way, at least not for me. It's it's so many tight, winding corridors that, like you say, they don't make any sense. It's The level design was made to cater to the gameplay, like the shooting, the moving around corners, but it wasn't made to necessarily add to the world in my opinion i basically have a i guess slightly more nuanced view on this i think that the level design in the more industrial parts of the station uh actually worked fine because the thing about spaceships or like real world ships is that there are plenty of places places on these ships you know the the cramped underbelly that are corridory and cramped and controlled and there's maintenance tunnels and awkward spots. I think it falls apart when you start getting to like the executive areas, which are still the same cramped corridors. Um, I liken it to Prey's... Prey has the parts of the ship which are the guts, like the areas where the most members of the station don't go and they're more industrial and ugly. And then you've got the rest of the station, which is gorgeous. I think the ugly parts of this station, the parts where I can imagine, you know, your blue collar worker, <laughs> you know, dealing with repairing the reactor or whatever. I thought it was fine. Um, the moment you get into more livable areas, though, the illusion falls apart. I think a big part of the problem is that everything looks very samey on each level. Like between levels, there's a bit of a visual motif difference um, between them. But, you know, on the hospital for level, for example, everything was just these blue square tiled patterns like everywhere. Mm -hmm. Nothing stood out as being like, oh, this is the emergency ward or this is the area where you know the lobby is where the patients are waiting nothing resembled in the slightest like a real world area that i would expect to be in that kind of area it just it just felt so uncanny to me the entire time it just didn't work for me at all it just felt like they were running uh, into the limitations of the hardware they were probably working with at that time yeah that's kind of the feeling I yeah got. and i agree i think that the medical area the executive suite are two of the most unfortunate areas in the game but i think when you're in the reactor core it's fine I, I i didn't feel like it was like obviously it's not a masterpiece of level design or anything but 
I felt that it suited it much better. I mean, it doesn't help that graphically this game is dated in a lot of ways as well. That I mean, that's probably a good segue to graphics. Um, so graphically, this game is it's a 3D game, but it still appears to have 2D-ish objects in its world. I, I think it is true 3D, but it's not not as easily recognizable like in like in quake i'm pretty sure all the enemies are sprites that are rotating right yeah that they must be this like this is a this is a dos game originally i i don't think it's true 3d it is true 3d but the um the models are sprites i think like okay, your your character sure. is moving through a 3d space but a lot of the objects in the world aren't 3D. I think I think is what it is. Yeah, that sounds right. Graphically, I am not in love with this look. I think the problem, once again, is that when this game came out in 94, it was probably a scary and atmospheric, horrifying sort of game to play through. But nowadays, this kind of look is just quaint. I will say I don't think it detracts from the gameplay experience most of the time. But there's not much about this graphical style that I'm in love with. There's just an adjustment period when you first dive into these older games where it might be shocking at first as you first start to play through it. But by, geez, a couple hours into the game, I, I didn't even think twice about the graphics going forward. I was like, no, it is what it is. This is, this is it. And I just move forward. Yeah, I basically feel the same. Like when you first jump in, you're like, whoa. This is a this is you know it's a big culture shock culture shock uh, it's a big shock it's a big shock to your system yeah, there we go um, when you stop playing uh, it it doesn't look great um, like I never really had problems identifying between enemies or objects or items or the level design and that's really the main thing for me with these older titles this game. There's nothing going for it that I would tell somebody, yeah, you should play System Shock 1. It looks good in this specific area. It doesn't have anything like that, but, you know, it never got in the way of my gameplay. I think that's really the main thing. But other than that, even stuff like, you know, 3D model tables looked quite poor, honestly. Everything is, everything is really blocky. I think it extends into the level design where, you know, there's only so many geometric shapes that are shown in this game. Like, whenever there's a ramp, it's, like, at the exact same angle every single time. Mm. Like, the tunnels are, like, diamonds uh, rather than being, you know, uh, more natural shapes. Uh, it's, it's extremely dated. I think the objects on the ground in particular looked rather goofy. Um, yeah. The ammo you find, the guns you find, the audio logs, they just look kind of out of place uh, and low resolution as objects that you're interacting with. I didn't even know that I was picking up audio logs at first. I'm like, ooh, a software upgrade because <laughs> yeah. it looks like a disc or something. Yeah. And the, the guns look silly. Like, I, I don't know how else to put it. So I agree that you don't really notice it too much in. And there's certainly more detail in this game than something like Doom. And even, even Quake, uh, there's more detail in the environments. But compared to anything today, it's it's just not nothing. It, special. it did make me go look at that remake, the the short clips. That have you guys seen that? It looks fantastic. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it was yeah. pretty cool. It looks really good. I'm yeah, excited after for playing it, through yeah. the game, it was it was neat to go and see that and to be able to be like, visualize it. You're like, oh wow, like it's brought to life now. So. Um, who who knows? We'll see if it comes out. Mm. But it looks neat. There's there's a playable demo for it nice. as well. Really? Okay. 
Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because, like, I don't think it's a big secret at this point. I fucking hate this game. <laughs> but I, ha- having played it, I am actually excited for the remake because more than anything, I like the direction of this game. Like, I think the idea of being on this space station trapped with this rogue AI where you're, like, constantly going back and forth trying to figure out these puzzles is really good. And then the execution is just incredibly dated. Like, I have no problem with the ideas that were on display here. It's just that, you know, uh, everything comes off as being very old and amateurish yeah well i mean do you want to move on to final impressions um yeah sure um patrick do you want to lead us off i think you were a bit higher on this game than i was i i think so um this has been it's taken me a lot of reflection to come to a conclusion about how i feel about system shock because i think it's a very flawed game and I think it's one of the weakest immersive sims I've ever played. Uh, however, there is something about this kind of game that really speaks to me. I love exploring the levels. I love uncovering the story. The weakest part of this game is 100% its gameplay, just its raw gameplay, the shooting of guns and being shot. It sucks. And the fact that you have to interface with that so much is a massive detraction against it. However, I enjoy the experience of exploring the levels, uncovering secrets, the resource management, uncovering the story, the non-linear way that you can experience all this so much that it gets a recommend for me. I think that you should not play this if you haven't played any immersive sims before. But I think that if you have enjoyed games like Deus Ex and Thief and Prey and Dishonored and etc., if you've enjoyed those kinds of games, System Shock 1 is worth your time. It is a good enough game in that sense. It has stood the test of time for people who want more of this kind of genre, but it's certainly not the strongest and it's got some serious problems. So you just have to be aware of that coming into it. Uh, Nick, what do you think of this game? Has it stood the test of time? I would say no. I, I Just generally speaking, I would never go to someone and say, oh, you like video games? The game that uni should be playing is System Shock. <laughs> this is going to blow your mind. It's just not it. I, I, I have a hard time, like the structure of your guys' podcast is evaluating it on you know, today's standards and there's no way it holds up in any way, but the, I didn't hate playing the game. I didn't dislike the game. I'll I'll never play it again, but I did like going through it and seeing the gameplay mechanics that I'm used to at their earliest stage, like this, Oh, we got to do the laser. Oh, that didn't work. Now we got to do this. And where they loop you back and forth stuff that we've seen in prey and Bioshock I I really liked seeing that at one of the earliest levels that's, you know, they started it. They kind of uh, started the genre or or one of the early ad- adopters of mm. the genre. So I did like that part. Generally, I fall pretty low on the game. I did, when I finished, I did go ahead and just installed System Shock 2 because I'm interested to see, uh, I, I'm interested to see the differences and, and where that one falls. Yeah, it's dramatically different, I've heard. Although, apparently, a lot of people still prefer the original to System Shock really? 2. I think a lot of the people who played it at the time it was released feel that way. But, you know, th- there are people who still prefer the original. If I was to praise this game in one way, I would say that it was probably very ambitious for its time. However, in terms of how fun this game is to play today, 
I cannot think of another game that I've played in recent memory that I've disliked more. <laughs> I hate this game. Like, I cannot express how much I dislike System Shock 1. If you've listened to the show before, I'm usually pretty easy on games. I probably give way, way more passes on games than I say you shouldn't play. But System Shock 1, to me, is one of the worst experiences that I've had playing a video game full stop. There were so many times where I was actively getting angry and, like, turning the game off and having to step away for an hour. Like, I, I hate the gunplay, I hate the exploration, I hate what it looks like, I hate everything about it apart from the story, and even that isn't great. It's just incredibly bad. Like, there was this one section where I was stuck in this room, and I realized you actually can't aim straight up. And if a flying enemy gets, like, above you, you just can't shoot it and you have to reload. There's nothing you can do. Just so many bad gameplay loops that this forces and encourages on the player that the entire thing was completely miserable for me from beginning to end. I was so happy to finish this and to never have to touch it again. I think this game is complete garbage on every level. Please don't play it. Jesus. A ringing endorsement. <laughs> That's a, you're, you've been harsher on this game than Call of Duty. I didn't think that would ever happen. <laughs> oh, I, I, Dude, I would play Call of Duty like 10 times in a row before I would touch this piece of shit again. Like, Jesus. I, I cannot express how much I hate this game. Like, It just made me angry in every single way. Those wire puzzles, man. And every time I saw them, just probably like left my room and went on a, like a 10 minute rant to my housemates. <laughs> like they are so sick of hearing me complain about this game at this point. Uh, yeah, I, I, I hate it so much. I'm sorry. I, I'm sure that people who played this back in the day, like loved it because it was innovative and, you know, uh, very ambitious. And I, I accept that. That's fine. But for today's standards, this just does not hold up. Okay, well, um, that about wraps it up. Uh, thank you for listening to James get all of that off his chest. Oh my god, I've been so excited to rant about this all week. I just, I just needed that. It was very, very <laughs> cathartic for me. We are, of course, the Retrospectives podcast. My name is Patrick Arthur, and my co-host is James Turlings. You can find us at rspodcast.net, where we've got all of our content, all of our podcasts, and lots of articles about all the games we've been playing. We've also got a Discord server that we'd love if you drop by. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. We were joined today by Nick of the Salt City Games cast. Nick, would you like to plug yourself one more time before we sign off? Sure, sure. You can. Uh, you should be able to find us on just about any podcast service that you search for. That's the Salt City Games cast. Uh, we have a Discord as well. Also, Honestly, if, if you want to follow us, just go and get into the Retrospectives Discord because I've already posted the show there and the, and the Discord links there. So uh, that's probably the easiest way. Um, if you can't remember that, you can try Twitter. I'm on Twitter, Salt City Games. And then my personal one is The Last Son of Bob. And hey, thank you guys for having me on here. This was great. No, was thank time. you so yeah, much for joining thanks for us. Coming. It was really nice to have a third opinion in the mix. Sometimes James and I get a little too in each other's throats. <laughs> <laughs> leads leads yeah, to more sure. balance. <laughs> um, so yeah. Well, I think that was a good middle ground here. <laughs> <laughs> it was, yeah. It actually worked out exactly like a middle ground, actually. That's quite nice. So uh, that brings the show to a conclusion. So let's move on to what we're doing for next fortnight. So I was the one who chose system shock for this episode so now it's james's choice what game are you subjecting me to uh next fortnight james 
Um, well, I'm not getting my revenge on you this coming week, but <laughs> I, do, I do have a plan to get it in the future. Um, so for this next week, I got into contact with a friend that I hadn't spoken to for a while, and he let me know that his favorite game of all time is Freelancer, which is another sci-fi game. Um, uh, so it's a another space flight game, um, which I guess, you know, Archimedean Dynasty was kind of like a sim, but this is a real true sci-fi space exploration game with a big focus on, like, doing missions and trading and relations. And so, you know, I'm really excited to give it a go and see uh, if it's as good as my friend makes it out to be okay i mean all i know about freelancer is that it's a trading slash pirate game uh but i don't object to yeah. it in principle so thank god it's not a jrpg anything but that <laughs> hey <laughs> <laughs> oh man you haven't heard what i think of jrpgs nick i talked oh, about that man. a bit off air it's, okay, it's too much for this show <laughs> well you guys will be happy to know that patrick will be subjected to one in about maybe four week four six weeks time so i uh, look forward to that hmm. um awesome <laughs> oh thank you so much for listening today guys um and we'll uh talk to you soon we'll see you in a fortnight adios see ya